Thank you, Jane. Let me tell you a little story. This Thursday past, Jane was here preparing and rehearsing, and um, as you might know, it's been quite a week for us here as a community at Heart of Wyke. And I remember coming in and having a seat in the back and just letting that music remind me in the midst of the reality that I was dealing with, remind me of the truth of God's goodness. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, I was checked into that. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Um, in the midst of this story, I'll talk a little later about some of the things we've been through as a community and that we're going through. Some, I'll ask you to help me pray for those things. But it's good that we begin by reminding ourselves that even in the midst of real circumstances that are difficult, there are true things that help us navigate. And that's not some kind of power of positive thinking, prosperity cult thing. It's because the world we live in lives under the goodness and grace of God. And that truth can affect our reality. It's not what I've said, it's what God has promised to us. Um, it's my prayer today that in a very special way, each of us might simply be more than reminded about God's truth, but that we might meet him, the God who is himself at work to comfort, to convict, to challenge, to lead, to empower. Uh, let the gospel and the word of God, which is true, shape your feelings and your heart, which are quite real. Our call to worship this morning, biblical truth from Psalm 57. Let's read that responsively, and then we'll press forward as we sing. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. We will praise you, Lord, among the nations. We will sing of you among the people. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let us stand and join together to exalt God's name. Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would. Well, welcome to those of you on site. It's good to gather and to be back. 
Uh, for those of you online, as you let us in our worship join where you are in your space and time, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who builds that bridge and binds God's people together. As most of you are aware, Mary Lynn and I are returning after two Sundays gone. Uh, we traveled to be with family at the beach in South Carolina, uh, drove for a day, spent time with some family on her side, drove for another day. A week at the beach, uh, my mom was there, my siblings. I had two sisters with birthdays that week. Two of our three kids, from, one from San Francisco, one from Huntington Beach, it was a great time to gather and be together. Drove back and here we are, we're plugging in again. As I often do uh, when I travel, we're in so many states and so many situations. I got tested for COVID and thankful to be negative because five days after we left, my mother's assisted living had to be quarantined the whole wing, again, because of the variant that's highly transmissible. It's been a real challenge. Uh, we also came back to a number of heartaches and challenges. From the time we were gone, things have happened. I'll talk about those more specifically later because I'm going to ask you to help me pray for them. But it's been a season for God's people, those of us here in celebration. We've seen heartache and sickness and death and loss. And yet in the midst of this, there is hope because of what Jesus has done for his people at the cross. Um, we'll pray for those things later on. But right now as pastor, I just want to acknowledge and help us navigate uh, the sadness and the brokenness of the world because by the grace of God, we can look at it honestly without blinking because there's a greater hope than our moment. And that's what I'm going to focus on in the sermon. Now, a number of things. I'm glad to welcome you. We also have an online connect card. If you will simply text this number, 616-202-1210, and type in the word connect, you'll get a link to a form, and we can put you on our weekly email and make contact. You can share anything you'd want to uh, with that. Uh, after this service and time together, uh, I'll be gathering for about 30 minutes. I call it follow up with a pastor. Give each of you opportunity to, if you'd like, ask questions or interact more in the sermon. Uh, we dig into things. I've got a two-minute video by Tim Keller that each, uh, as we work through these through the course of the summer, have been very insightful on navigating the gospel in a changing season. And there'll also be fellowship gathering under the um, uh, awning there, the drive-through. I was laughing this morning. I got up in the dark and it was 76 degrees. And I thought if I was in Louisiana, this would just be June. <laughs> I'm glad the summer's about done. What a hot one. Uh, still, we are here together. I'm thankful for the faith that's bigger than me. It's been given by God and preserved across centuries. I'm the recipient of a faith that's greater than me. We all are, and we want to pass it on faithfully. And so I'm glad each week to take, uh, we do one question a month from the Heidelberg Catechism as a way to confess our faith. So let us do that here this morning. Uh, we're on question number one, very appropriate. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let us sing together two verses of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
Have a seat if you would, please. This is the time we set aside for corporate prayer, and typically, and rightly so, I lead that and pray on behalf of us all. This morning, though, because of our circumstance, I'm going to ask each of you to help me pray in this season of need. I'm going to read through uh, the long list of needs and, and things that I'm aware of. You may be aware of others as well. And I'm going to ask you to listen as I read these out. And if one grabs your attention, I'm taking that to be the leading of the Holy Spirit. Focus on that, and later in our corporate time, I'll give a moment of silence, and I'll just ask you in the silent sanctuary of your heart to pray for whatever need has captured your attention or pressed in deeply. Now, the good news is the Lord, our Heavenly Father, can handle all of us praying at once. I don't, I don't know if you've ever prayed with Koreans in a Korean church. I hear the um, experience talked about. The Korean Presbyterians, apparently when the pastor says, let us pray, they all start praying. And if there's a hundred people in the sanctuary, there's a hundred voices praying. If there's 200 people in the sanctuary, 200 people start praying. If there's a thousand Presbyterians in one sanctuary, a thousand people start praying. We'll do that in our hearts, but know that God can hear every prayer. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I'm praying for uh, Sam Mulder, 18-year-old with cancer, uh, Brian and Jeannie's grandson, for Beth as she recovers. Grace Valdir, doing well after a heart attack, and yet, boy, there's a need there. For Terry DeHaan with blood clots. Most of us aren't aware, but John, we're, I'm going to mention you, in and out of the hospital. For others, as you may know them, you might not be aware that Stephen Stride, who works with our tech and visual in the fusion service, his wife, uh, Sarah Stride, is the worship leader. Stephen is a deputy at Kalamazoo and worked closely with Ryan Proxmire, the sheriff who was killed in the line of duty. Evan Berger, the grandson of both Joyce Cortman and Cal and Carol Colleen, uh, died a very aggressive blood disease that took his life quickly. Uh, th just this week, Josh Watkin in a worksite accident. Uh, we want to pray for Keith and Mary Louise, for Leah and for Christy, for all of that family. Outside of Hardwick, uh, COVID continues to be changing and challenging. Uh, I prayed with a pastor in another part of the country this week who has a three-month-old in his congregation on a ventilator. As I pray with pastors that I know across the country, um, I see the, the challenge and the change here. I put in the celebration in form my own interesting connection with ministry in Afghanistan over the past 30 years. Can't hardly watch that and not weep. For Haiti, how could it be in the midst of that poverty? We're surrounded by needs. God's people are not left powerless if we know the God of great mercy. So I hope one of those has captured your attention. When I give a silent moment, you focus on those things. Let's turn to the Father and pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that you are the rock of our salvation, that you are the firm rock, not the sands of the beach that get swept away by the tide, that as we build our lives on you, that whatever the storm we face, whether personal or national, whatever storm we face, you hold us solid. And so we come to you, dear Father, to pray. And having just skimmed, as it were, the pressing needs from our own small circle, we take this moment and cry out to you. I'm going to give you a, a few seconds of silence. Just lift to the Lord whatever those requests struck your heart. Take that as the leading of the Holy Spirit. Or if something else, that's fine. But in this moment, let us just pour out our hearts before a loving Heavenly Father.
Oh God, our Father, you loved us so much that you gave your only Son, the Lord Jesus, that he might uh, walk in our midst, God in the flesh, and that he would give his life and be raised from the dead, that he might give to us the Holy Spirit who is named Comforter, Advocate. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide our prayers, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would be a resource beyond ourselves or our circumstances, and that you would be powerful to lead us and to guide us, even when the way seems dark. We pray for Hardawike Ministries that by your grace we might point to Jesus in our time and in our place. Be with Pastor Aaron as he preaches in the watershed community this morning, and Pastor JB as he preaches in Fusion. Thank you for the time we had together this week and for the way both of my colleagues ministered to the flock that you love celebration these past two weeks. We thank you for Pastor Florencio, and we pray for Mission right here where we are in just a few hours. The good news of Jesus will be made known in the Spanish language. Thank you that we can be a part of that great work. Father, we thank you that as celebration, you've called us to love one another, to encourage one another, to weep, to sing with joy, to navigate life together. Help us to uh, rest in your goodness and to share more than simply ourselves, to share your grace and goodness. Father, you teach us to pray in 1 Timothy 2 for those who are in authority over us and in our regular cycle. Uh, this is the week we pray for the Heart of White Council and leadership. We pray that you would speak to them. Thank you for a strong and good meeting this past Monday. As we, again, in our study, dealt with the issue of spiritual warfare and the need to stand firm in grace in a broken world. I guide each of those uh, people, may they be Christ's um, insight for us as a congregation. Father, we pray for the missionaries that go out from uh, Hardawike to the other ends of the earth, even as uh, many serve in places where it's unsafe to mention. We pray that your anointing would be with them. And Father, I take the words of Scotty Smith, who's helped me learn to pray. And as we meditate on Isaiah 43, 2, that you will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. That's your character, Lord God. Lord Jesus, as creator and sustainer of all things and the judge of the living and the dead, your glory and power are beyond our comprehension. Yet you occupy the throne of the cosmos, the big sovereign seat. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have made that throne for us the very throne of grace with great gentleness and burden-bearing love. Lord, many of us are nearing emotional and mental exhaustion, and we hardly realize it. We see, but even more, we feel the increase in the nearness of sickness, violence, and loss. Just when we thought this virus thing was abating, it's suddenly abounding. On top of that, we are surrounded by conflicting information and people we love who see, th who see things so differently. Then throw into the mix the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan, rendering so many children and women vulnerable to great harm and putting your church in the crosshairs of evil. Knowing you will prevail is wonderful, yet it's the waiting that is weighing us down. Jesus, we are desperate for gospel peace, the, the heart, body, mind, health, and for your return. But whatever, by whatever means, through whomever you choose, help us to live faithfully. Grant us grace and friends and strength for the stretch just in front of us and intensify our compassion for fellow travelers. Give us words of peace and encouragement right now. Empathy and kindness are more needed often than answers. Give us your grace for that. Father, move in the hearts and lives of your people. We join together with one voice and one heart in the prayer that Jesus taught us. And we say together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, we continue through the book of Acts for our series this summer. We're calling it Devoted. Um, It's a marvelous thing. I'm thankful that while I was away, you got to uh, meet and spend time with my two colleagues, Pastor Aaron that first week, and then last week, uh, Pastor JB. Each week, we get together, we study together, we pray, um, we consider the text, and I'm glad to share with you the good thing that God is doing to put us together. Um, This week, we've got two chapters we looked at, chapter uh, 23 and chapter 24. I'm going to do something a little unusual. I'm going to focus in on uh, just 11 verses, and I'm going to begin by reading from a paraphrase uh, called The Message. It's, It's a little more loosely translated. It's not quite as rigorous as a translation would be. But I liked it this week because it catches the energy of this text. As I was working through it in the original language, there's some, there's some nuance that seemed better communicated this way. So I'm going to take the liberty to do that this week. This is a setting, and you'll hear me say it in the sermon, this is more like night court in Chicago. You know, there's that setting where most everybody's gone to bed, but the police are kind of out there getting the bad guys, and Yeah, they do at night what they don't do in the morning and stuff like that. Paul is in that circumstance. It's kind of rough and tumble, and you need to get the the taste of that. So I'll begin uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 1, and you can follow. I've got it on the text or on your TV. Let us hear the word of God together. Now, Paul surveyed the members of the council with a steady gaze and then said his piece. Friends, I've lived with a clear conscience before God all my life, up to this very moment. That set the chief priest Ananias off. He ordered his aides to slap Paul in the face. Paul shot back, God will slap you down. What a fake you are. You sit there and judge me by the law, and then you break the law by ordering me slapped around. The aides were scandalized. How dare you talk to God's chief priest like that? Paul acted surprised. Oh, how was I to know he was the chief priest? He he doesn't act like a chief priest. You're right. The scripture does say don't speak abusively to a ruler of your people. I'm, I'm sorry. Paul, then knowing some of the council was made up of Sadducees and the others of the Pharisees and how those two parties hated each other, he decided to exploit their antagonism. Friends! I'm a stalwart Pharisee from a long line of Pharisees. It's because of my Pharisee convictions, the hope and resurrection of the dead, that I've been hauled into this court. The moment he said this, (laughs) the council split right down the middle. Pharisees and Sadducees going at each other in heated argument. Sadducees have nothing to do with the resurrection or of angels or even of a spirit. If they can't see it, they don't believe it. Pharisees believe all of that, and so a huge and noisy quarrel broke out. Then some of the religion scholars on the Pharisee side shouted down the others, oh, we don't find anything wrong with this man, and what if a spirit has spoken to him, or maybe an angel? What if it turns out we're fighting against God? Oh, that was fuel on the fire. The quarrel flamed up and became so violent that the captain was afraid they would tear Paul apart, limb from limb. He ordered the Roman soldiers to get him out of there and escort him back to the safety of the barracks. And now I want to translate this and notice the last sentence is in red. That's to signify from the translators that it's Jesus speaking. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, "'Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem,' so you must also testify in Rome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that centuries ago, a trained physician by the name of Luke gathered the stories from eyewitnesses. He confirmed them. Some of them he lived through himself. 
and he committed them to writing. The church recognized your hand in his writing. And so they carefully preserved these texts across centuries. And now, in an amazing way, we can hold those texts and translate them, wrestle, listen, meditate on what Luke wrote. And here you promised to meet us. Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds that we might know and love you, that we might know and love Jesus, that we might know and love God the Father. Thank you for your goodness and grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Oh, just a word, I keep missing this. It's a little late now, but I've, um, I'm back in the habit of making a, a simple sermon outline for those who want to pick it up as we come in. As we're still not doing a full bulletin, so I'm not sure how we'll get this out, but you may want to pick that up on the way out or look for it next week as you come in. I'll try to equip each of you to dig in with the things that God has put on my heart. Looking back on my own life, there was a season where our family lived in a suburb of Mount Pleasant. Now, if you've ever been in Mount Pleasant, you can hardly imagine a suburb. We were 20 minutes out of the small town and university, out on the lake in the woods. And I want to tell you, when the sun went down, there was no light pollution, as they say. It was dark. And the wonderful thing that comes in a dark place like that is you can look up at the stars. There would be times when I'd come home late at night, Mary Lynn and the kids perhaps already in bed, and I could stand out on our front porch and just look up. And it's as if there were 20 times more stars than I'd ever seen living in a place like Charlotte or Los Angeles or New Orleans. The stars were everywhere. I was struck in those moments by the wonder of God, but soon the Holy Spirit also began to challenge me to see God in his greatness, but his nearness in the gospel as the Holy Spirit dwelt within me. So I could look at this wonder touched by his nearness if I would just look. Now, those were moments that I would also call to mind because there were other times when it would take an hour to drive slowly through the snow. It would be dark, and I'd stand on that porch and couldn't see the end of the porch. The snow was flying, it's bitter cold, the clouds are low and pressing. But you know what? Above those clouds, God in his wonder was still near. Paul had to have thought a very similar sort of thing. He didn't know about porches at Coldwater Lake. He didn't know about snow, I suspect. But he did know of God's greatness and of God's nearness, no matter what you face. Last week, JB uh, laid out a good uh, outline of the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, Paul says, or, or Luke under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is reminded of Jesus saying, you shall be my witnesses, marturion, first in Jerusalem and Judea, then Samaria, and indeed to the utter ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is the working out of that wave by wave by wave. Well, chapters 21 and 28, we're in the middle of that now, are to the furthest reaches of the known world. Paul will go from Jerusalem to Rome. Here, he is bound for Rome, and it's a setting of much turmoil. All of these chapters are filled with turmoil. Last week, you would have seen that he, Paul found himself at the center of a riot, rescued at the last minute by the Romans, two different jurisdictions. There in the temple, the Romans were who rescued him. Now, um, the Romans turn him over to the jurisdiction of a Jewish court. He gets roughed up. We hope you sense that in the reading. And later, a plot of 40 men are bound by oath to kill him. That's a real conspiracy. They were ready to do it. He was spirited off in the night by Roman troops to a safe location. He would languish in jail for years at his own expense while corrupt authorities try to decide how to handle him 
or how to make an extra buck. He would be shipped to Rome and there'd be a storm at sea, shipwreck, oh, but he survived that only to be bitten by a poisonous snake. This is the story later on in Romans. Finally, he'll get to Rome and settle in to house arrest. Hardly what you would call marvelous circumstances. They were hard. They were life-threatening. They were dangerous. There were people who wanted him dead. But through all of this, and in our passage today, Paul gives every appearance of being a man at shalom, at peace, at wholeness. I believe that's because he was motivated by a greater knowledge and a greater mission than simply his own comfort or pleasant circumstances. I want to tell you something real clear, friends. I'm thankful for the blessings and benefit of following God, but I want to tell you that the, the importance of following God is greater than the blessings or the benefit in this world. There are moments where the mission of God called Paul, where the mission of God has called his followers through the centuries, and where perhaps the mission of God in this moment would call you to lay aside comfort and blessings and to be faithful. That's what we see in Paul. In a sense, in these chapters, Paul is just living out what Jesus said in John 16, Remember, Jesus, who gave his life for us, said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Notice he says, in me. Because we may not have peace in our circumstances. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. This passage today is good news to those who are uncomfortable in the brokenness of the world, who feel threatened, sleepless. It's been that kind of week. At risk, I have friends that I don't have contact with right now. I know they're at risk. Unable to control circumstances? Certainly. But at peace, at shalom, because there's something greater than my circumstances, and that's the good news. I think the key to seeing this and understanding this in the life of the Apostle Paul, in the life of this text, is getting a sense of citizenship. And where is your identity? Where do you belong? There's a fascinating uh, word, and I won't, I, I want to give you enough Greek so that you can benefit, but I don't want to drown you in the details of things. The Greek word is politumai. It's used as a noun. There's various verb forms or an adverb. Listen to that again. Politumai. What do you hear in that? Political, politics, polis is Greek for city. It's most often translated, related to citizenship. Act like a citizen. My citizenship enables me to. Do you remember Paul said, I am a citizen of Rome, and suddenly everybody stepped back? See, one of the things we miss is that in the Roman world, when somebody played the Roman card... It was backed up by the Roman legion. We don't mess with Roman citizens. So they backed off from him. There was something powerful about citizenship. Paul says in 23.1 here, I have fulfilled my duty is how the NIV puts it. It's that word politiomai. I have been a, a citizen of God's kingdom. He's, what he's saying here is that it's clear he's the one who's acting. He acts upon himself and he's fulfilling his duty, his living out his citizenship with God. And that's why he can live with integrity before the Romans, before the Jews, before anyone. He can live with integrity because of his heavenly citizenship in whatever vertical situation, I'm sorry, whatever horizontal situation he finds himself let me tell you some other places this word is used. The only other place it's used in the same form is Philippians 1.27. And he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, 
people of the gospel, conduct yourselves appropriately. That's what he's telling the church in Philippi. A few chapters later in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, but our citizenship, there's the connection. It's the same word. It's a little different form. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul says to Ananias, the high priest, I have lived with integrity. I have fulfilled my duty. He's saying, I have, I have lived as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that means I have lived with integrity before you. To live as a child of God means to live with integrity in the world in which we find ourselves. Now, let me make some things very clear here. Paul is not saying, uh, pardon me, high priest, I stand justified before God because I have a clear conscience. Read what Paul says in his letters, and he would not recommend that anyone stand before God trusting in their clear conscience. All of us are sinners. We come to the game as broken players. I don't stand before God with a clear conscience. I stand before God guilty of sin. That's why I need a Savior, the Lord Jesus. As I respond by faith to his grace in the gospel, I'm his deeply loved, fully adopted child. Because of that transaction in the vertical, I can live with integrity in the horizontal, in this world. What Paul is saying is, I have fulfilled my duty. I've lived out my citizenship from the kingdom of God in your world. Paul is now empowered to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God in other jurisdictions, as it were. It's as if to say, I've been a faithful American, and so I have a clear conscience as a Michigander in Ottawa County. You see, a greater jurisdiction, the kingdom of God, because God's grace has given me standing there. I live it out in other jurisdictions with integrity. So Paul is not making a statement in, in Acts 23.1 about his integrity before God. He's talking about living in this world by the grace of God. Please. Please, if you ever hear me week to week, do not plan to stand before the judgment throne of Jesus, trusting your clear conscience. That's the place where the blood of Christ is our only hope. But if you rest your life and identity there, know that there is a power to live with integrity in your neighborhood, in the state of Michigan, in the United States, on planet Earth. A heavenly citizenship, an identity given by grace through the cross enables us to live with a different kind of integrity. Notice, and I can say this uh, very strongly because Paul uh, did not live perfectly. He lived with integrity under the authority of the Jewish law because he lived rightly before God, but he would make mistakes. Think about this situation. Paul had been in the temple in chapter 22. A riot broke out. The Romans had to rescue him. So they pull him out, and now in chapter 23, they send him back to the court of the Jewish Sanhedrin to determine what the charges are. Paul's first statement is, I'm living with a clear conscience. Now notice what happens. The high priest orders him slapped, punched in the mouth as if he sinned with his mouth. Paul knows that's a violation of the law, that that's not how you treat witnesses. And so Paul speaks strongly and says, no, you're a whitewashed wall. Then the oddest thing happens. The people around Paul said, oh, don't you, how do you say that about the high priest? Paul makes an interesting statement here. He says, how was I to know? Now stop and think here, friends. How was I to know? 
The high priest, when he was serving in his official function, had particular garments that he wore. It wouldn't help if I told you he dressed up like a Mardi Gras Indian. Most of y'all don't even know what a Mardi Gras Indian is. How about if I were to say the drum major for the U of M band? If the drum major for the U of M band walked in here and sat down, would you notice him? Oh, yeah. That big hat, that uniform, that big, you'd notice him. That's what the high priest looked like. And yet Paul didn't realize what's going on here. I want to suggest something to you. It's not worth starting a new denomination, but it's certainly how I see this text functioning. And it reminds me of something. I don't think Paul could have missed the high priest unless he was essentially blind. Do you remember Paul in the book of Acts on the road to Damascus has a vision of Christ and is left blinded for three days? We read in Galatians 4, 13, that he says to the church in Galatia, because of an illness, I first preached the gospel to you. What was the illness? We're not sure. But if two verses later, he says, you would have given me your eyes to express their love for him. We know Paul traveled with Luke, a personal physician. And here in this moment, he misses (laughs) the drum major in the room. I want to suggest to you that Paul does ministry as a person with a disability. Here, a, a severe sight inability. We've read that Paul is used with healing ministry with a disability. We'll read later in Acts that as they were washed up on the shore, Paul would, through a miraculous work of God, heal the ruler's father. And then Luke would go on to cure with his medicine. I want to tell you, Paul did ministry out of his brokenness. I'm a sinner who needs a big savior. We're all called to do ministry by God's grace out of our brokenness. It's critical that we see that because Paul had a citizenship that was not earned by him. It was given to him by God's grace. And from that gift, he could live with integrity wherever it was that God would place him. And so it is, he can make a mistake here because he can't see who this guy is. He responds in light of the law. You don't treat um, witnesses this way. But then he realizes it's the high priest and he's in the wrong. He's quick to repent. Friends, I want to tell you something. The heavenly citizenship that we have by grace produces gospel humility. That's what we see in Paul here. He has the humility to put together that he's made a mistake, to apologize, to repent. Gospel humility. It struck me this week, Paul would rather be unjustly punched in the mouth because that's what was happening than say something evil about this unjust high priest. I want to tell you every American cell in my body didn't like that. But I remember my dad calling me to task one time and saying you will respect the office even if you can't respect the person. Is that a word for God's people? You see it right here in Paul. He had no respect for Ananias and his behavior, but he had a respect for the office that God had established. And because of that, he had a a gospel humility, and it led to a quick repentance. He was quick to say, oh, my bad, I'm sorry. I was struck this week You know, we live in a confusing time, and more often than not, I don't come with answers, but I was struck. I would have almost called this sermon, Letter from a Jerusalem Jail. 
Because you see Paul functioning here, and it reminded me of Dr. Martin Luther King in his book, Why We Can't Wait, where he talks about we're called to resist unjust government nonviolently, but we recognize the institution of that office to jail us. And so he was jailed many times because he had a higher citizenship. He could live with integrity in the challenge of the world. That's a unique message. We're not hearing that in our moment. That's worth a lot more discussion and consideration. I don't, again, don't come to force anything, but that's all I could, I just meditated on that through the week. How similar Paul is here. He'd rather be punched in the mouth unjustly by an unjust high priest than disrespect the office. Wow. That was a challenge for me. You see, here's Paul. His quick repentance was the fruit of a gospel humility. You know, because by grace I'm secure as a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king, I can look at my brokenness. I can have my faults pointed out and even when it hurts, accept them because my citizenship is not at risk. I can repent because I'm loved. It's amazing to me that Paul will surrender his rights in light of the Jewish law in order to prioritize his responsibilities for the mission of the gospel. I'm thankful for the rights that I do have, but because of my citizenship in heaven, I have a deeper responsibility than simply my own rights. I have a responsibility that the world would hear the good news of a God who would lay aside his glory and take on the brokenness that marks my life and and yours, and he would give an exchange of grace for a new and transformed life. Greater than my rights in the moment are the responsibilities of my new citizenship. I remember years ago as we would fly home to see my mom and dad and take our kids, we often flew out of Lansing Airport to get to Charlotte, North Carolina. And you know in the winter how Michigan has those low-hanging clouds, cold, hopefully snowy because raining is worse. We would get in that airplane and the kids are wondering and nervous. I'd be sitting beside one. What's going to happen? And the pilot would line up, head down the runway, and we'd come up. You couldn't see the wingtips, it felt like sometimes. But then you know what I'm about to say. There was that moment. You burst through the low-hanging clouds, and you know what? The sun was there. It always had been. Friends, I want to tell you, this may feel like a moment where the clouds hang low, where the snow blows hard, where it's cold, where you feel isolated, but there is a truth bigger than the clouds that are real, and it is that there is a God who has loved us deeply at great cost to himself that he willingly paid to give us a grace that would call us his. That was Paul's passion. That should be all. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your amazing love. Continue to surprise us and challenge us with that love. Help us to see your goodness and grace. I pray for those who feel hard-pressed in this moment by circumstances or by situations. I pray that in your mercy you would be present. Thank you that whatever the clouds feel like in this moment, that the sun still shines and the Son of God still saves. I'm going to ask that we close by praying together. We'll put the words up on the screen, the Heart of White Gospel Meditation, prayer that I've written that kind of encapsulates this and has become my own meditation. Let us pray together these words. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own, but instead, by the working of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now. 
not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. Amen and amen. Let us sing together from the book of Psalms. This is the hymn that is actually a psalm set to music, Psalm 90, O God, our help in ages past. the benediction from Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. I'm going to take you as you were and just lift you above the clouds to see the sun and what God will go with you with. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? And amen.